Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my new friend, Jesse Levine, on the pod with us today. Jesse, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm so good. So happy to have you on the podcast today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? So my name is Jesse Levine. As you said, I am an emotional embodiment coach, which I'm sure we will dissect in pieces as we talk today in some form. Um, But to give just a really brief history of how I'm here, I grew up a competitive gymnast. I became a professional dancer. That led me to yoga, both as a place of familiarity and moving my body and as a bit of a savior from the intensity of gymnastics and dance. Um, And slowly but surely that has evolved into this space of emotional healing, trauma healing, and where I am today. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So talk to me about growing up. Uh, I imagine you were on like a, is gymnastics like, is it team-based or were you like on a competitive team? Like how'd that kind of work? Yeah. You know, I often talk to people and they're like, oh, I did gymnastics too. I'm like, no, no, no. I did like hardcore 10 years, like don't do anything else with your life uh, kind of gymnastics. So I wasn't a part of a school or anything, but I was um, you know, working out five to six hours a day, six days a week oh, until wow. I was 14, 15. Um, and then did you and, get burned out at that point? <laughs> yeah, I think I started burning out at like nine or 10. Oh my God. And it was like a slow burn. <laughs> it was like a slow burn. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> are, are you, are you an only child or like, how did you get into gymnastics? Is it, was it like just hobby based and then you show some aptitude for it and your parents just like pushed you all the way in? That's interesting that you asked from an only child. <laughs> uh, I am by blood. I married into three siblings. Um, not I, my parents married and I gained three siblings when I was nine, 10. So both. Gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting. And were any of your siblings gymnasts? Um, my sister who, stepsister, who's my same age, we did it together for a little bit, but I like kind of went on really intensely for a while. That's cool. I've, I found like anything that's Olympic sport based, like where, the uh, the aptitude is extremely high and then the like the talent to do it is also extremely high has like a super high burnout quotient like it's you know there's 12 to 15 successful people i mean not counting like college gymnastics i'm talking about top of the top it's just like impossible um so talk to me kind of like your growth from like you know very high level competitive gymnastics at 14 to like you're pressed with this opportunity to do whatever you want with your free time. And like, what'd you kind of do that? Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, perhaps too much information, but that's kind of my style. I quit gymnastics. I was 15. I had not gone through puberty, had not had my period yet. I had no body fat. I quit like gained a bunch of weight, went through puberty. So I went through a big, actually, I would say like, that's like the start of body image issues coming in to play, like realizing, oh, I can't just like eat everything all the time. But when I was a gymnast, I needed to. Um, Yeah. So, so interesting that you bring that up because that was probably a big piece of my next year, that moment, quitting and having to deal with all that space. And do you think some of those 
I'm going to use the word trauma, but some of those like instances of like body image issue that you had growing up kind of led you down to your new career path, like the thing that you're doing with your life now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> even when you said, um, when you were talking about sports, I was, oh, like this summer I watched the Olympics and I love watching the gymnastics. Of course, it's still like makes me cry. It speaks to my heart in a really beautiful way. And like, the trauma healer in me is like, oh my God, they're going to be so fucked up. <laughs> well, we all know, you know, via the news that they are all so fucked up. It's super tragic. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at like someone like Simone Biles, who's f- for the six months leading up to the Olympics, like the face of U.S. Olympics. And I've never seen like public in like public the public and at large turn on a human being quicker in my entire life i was like this person is going through a serious mental trauma right now where like they could beyond the fact that they could severely injure themselves like you know not being mentally in the game and doing 75 fucking flips in a row number one but two like they're like i'm not mentally well like i thought the biggest disappointment with what happened with simone biles is that it didn't foster a furthering conversation on mental health in this country and i thought it was just kind of like the there was like that storm brewing where um naomi osaka withdrew from a major and then simone biles like very shortly after is dealing with it with mental health issues at the olympics I thought it was like, oh man, this is great. We're like at the precipice of talking about this as a like a cumulative conversation, and then nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do feel like at least in the the on the edges, it's starting to be talked about, right? Like maybe NBC is not ready to like fully, <laughs> you know, address the mental and emotional trauma of the Olympics because they sponsor the Olympics. Sure. But a billion dollars but later. Out, right. <laughs> like, ooh, whoopsie, we're fucking everybody up. But no. Um, but but at least on the outskirts it, it did start to get talked about, you know. I mean, even in me personally, I am obviously a stand for mental, emotional health and healing. And yet, like Simone Biles pulling out in that moment was like, also like, no, 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 you can't do that. Right. Like my history came in was like, no, you have to be the best and push through and like stand up to it. And so it's interesting, like even, and maybe that's a testament to some of my triggers and trauma, but like even here inside myself, there are both of those voices. Like, yes, of course you need to step back, be safe. And also no, screw that win the gold yeah right well that's like the duality of every human being it's like you know i want to be the perfect version of myself and then also realize like that i'm just a fucking putz period so like i i totally get that i mean especially being that you came from that you know cut from that cloth that kind of totally makes sense um but talk to me about like kind of the process of like going through high school and you've got body image issues and and you're you know kind of not feeling yourself and then you know what was like your path to where you are today so like you quit gymnastics you're a woman now in high school, you're going to college. Like kind of what's like the, the path forward from, you know, that, that point. Yeah. Um, so in high school, towards the end of high school, I started dancing um, and pretty immediately, you know, about a year into like, Oh, I can't eat the same way that I was when I was, you know, working out six hours a day. Um, I pretty quickly went into like dieting and fitness and like fitness regimen. And, uh, and I would say from the get go, it was pretty based in like 
hate for my body, like based in like, how dare you change from how you had always been. Um, and that, that really continued on through my mid twenties, all the way through college. You know, I started dating, started having relationships that furthered my body image issues, not necessarily because they did anything, but because of my relationship with myself and how I thought I was seen. Yeah, I could spiral, but let me pause. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take a breath. Um, I, I've always found it super, I don't want to use the word depressing because it is a depressing thing, but it is, it, it's difficult for me. And I, I spoke about this with uh, with Sienna on uh, a couple weeks ago when she was on our podcast and discussing similar issues. I've, I've never been able to relate. Um, I've had some friends who have had eating disorders. I've had some friends who got very ill from these eating disorders and there's just something inherently in me that I have like the reverse body dysmorphia where I could be ballooning to 265 pounds and think I look great. It's like fucked up and definitely not healthy, but it's hard for me to relate. And, and obviously it's, there's the female to male aspect of the, of the issues that, you know, you guys have significantly higher social pressures to look a certain way, eat a certain way, behave a certain way, which we can spend hours talking about, but it, it's, it's, one of the things that I'm trying to like kind of get a further grasp on because it's such a commonality amongst, you know, women 16 to 24 that they deal with these things and they don't get talked about nearly enough. I know they're, they're, we're getting to a better place where people are able to foster these conversations about things that they're struggling with, but it's, it's something that I want to do a better job relating with because I just don't have that ability to kind of put myself there. Um, but you know, obviously this is something that you've been able to kind of kick its ass because you model, you dance. I mean, I've seen photos of you looking incredible in nature. So talk to me about kind of the process of going from, you know, super unhappy in your own skin to like this free spirit who's like just fucking kicking asses, you know, taking names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, well, interestingly, you know, I imagine that some of what you've seen is still a bit of a response to the body image issues, meaning like I like kind of swung the other way. So I was like dieting, hating my body for years, like pushing it to look different, pushing it to feel different. That wasn't working when I hit like, 25, 26, and really found yoga and started to understand the concept of accepting yourself, which was just not even a thing that I had heard of before then. Um, I did accept myself in a lot of ways and my body started to shift. And, and I actually sort of had this narrative like, oh, see, once you love your body, then it'll get thin, oh. which is like still right. Like it's like, and I probably wouldn't have said those words, but that was kind of the belief underneath it. Like, oh, I just have to love myself and then I'll look great. And like some of that's true, right? Because just because of the way we radiate our love outward. But but I still was like in this model of what is the best way to look good? What is the best the best route to just make myself thin? And so like I found the best route by loving myself. And yet it still wasn't. So that's super I feel interesting. Like I went, yeah. That's super interesting because I think that might be inherently why I'm super comfortable in my own skin because I love the shit out of myself. 
So I find that super interesting that like you got to the place where you loved yourself like super unconditionally, but then you still had another hurdle to hop over. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to some extent it's all love. Like we could, we could dig into even me dieting from a place of not wanting my body was just like a twisted sense of loving myself and wanting to feel the fullest that I could feel. But I like twisted it into like controlling my food and intake and how I look. And then on the other end, like, yes, I love myself and I love myself because I look good. And when that cycle is present, it's still a little bit twisted, right? Like it's still not like just radiant love. It's like love and love. And also only if you do this though. So it's like love with like a massive string attached to the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's interesting. I, uh, I would really be interested in, in kind of getting an understanding of how your own like work on yourself has kind of fostered its way into what you do like work-wise so like kind of talk to me about the journey like when you know you find yoga and then now you have like this kind of path in your mind and the thing that you're going to do work-wise so like how did you kind of get into what you're doing you know empowerment coaching etc and kind of like how did you fall into that yeah so sort of along those lines the first I mean I was teaching you know, at studios and I was running teacher training programs and stuff. But the first time I like said, you know, I want to do something for the world. I want to have my own creations, my own business um, was yoga retreats for women where a piece of the yoga retreat was a nude photo shoot in nature. Oh, cool. So it was about this, you know, see yourself as you are connected to nature see how beautiful, you know, like the, the shape of your shoulder blade is next to the rock, like really have that, um, have that greater sense of love. And like we were saying, like still in my first couple of years of doing that, I was still, uh, like uh, this maybe sounds worse than I mean it, but like pushing an agenda on myself and my students Mm -hmm. to love themselves in a way that like wasn't totally encapsulating the love I was actually trying to. Oh, totally. I get that completely. Yeah. Yeah. So then from the retreats and from kind of your self-practice to what? Yeah. So, um, I did that for about four years when I did maybe 10, 11 retreats. And then like just before COVID happened, I decided you know, I'm gonna take a pause from retreats, I'm gonna take a pause from training programs from all this stuff that I was putting out, and really focus on one on one clients, which I had just started doing, um, and maybe do some online courses. And then like COVID hit. So I kind of uh, came in that way at the right time. Um, and since then, I feel like it's been unraveling. And what I'm what's been unraveling is that pushing agenda thing. Mm, like, that's good. yeah like like how much what is really my intention in doing these things and can I really hold the fullness of that intention I think that's what shifted from when I was doing retreats and like trying to make something happen versus now I'm not doing retreats and, and I'll probably get there but um but I may again when I can actually fully embody my intention and hold that for a group of people. Hmm. Wow. That's kind of interesting. 
Um, I would love to get an understanding of like how, you know, you mentioned relationships when you were younger and like the relationship that you had with yourself, obviously, like with your body and your body image. And um, if, if you're single versus in a committed relationship versus, you know, in a positive one or negative one, et cetera, how does that kind of like impact, you know, the way you feel about yourself? Is it, I would imagine it's almost kind of like a drug addiction, sort of like the good ones make you feel better. The bad ones make you feel worse kind of deal. Hmm. Mm. Um, I would say <clears throat> for most of my life, the good ones and the bad ones have the same effect. Oh, interesting. Um, in why, that, why do you think that is? Yeah. I guess sort of what, what we said with the, the like swinging from two sides with the food stuff too. Like on one side I was loving myself, but it was twisted into hate on the other side. I was loving myself, but it was twisted into sort of a false validation or false gratification. So I feel like a similar experience with romantic relationships and relationships in general over time where the ones that are really, really, really good are like um, addictive, like you're saying, and they pulled me away from where I where I truly was and who I truly am, even though it was fun and, and really pleasurable, but like a, like spikes, Mm. like a high. And then the bad ones were a similar sort of addiction, like an addiction to solving the problem an addiction to being better an addiction to doing better the next time. So they don't leave or they don't yell at me or whatever that is. Oh, I've been there. (laughs) Uh, Not, not, not the yeller, not the yeller. I was cheated on. So it's all good. (laughs) I could say that. Yeah, yeah I but I, I'm super relatable in that experience because I had a very bad relationship and this was even before having found out that I had been cheated on, we would fight all the time and then like it would become this contest of like, well, how do I fix this? And then we would have like incredible makeup sex and there was just like this reoccurring vicious cycle of I would get upset over justly things because I was not in a reciprocated relationship and it would just turn into this like negative feedback loop that obviously blew up, but, um, very relatable. I've for sure been there. <laughs> right. Totally. Right. And like really lately, and I'm sure this will relate to my business somehow. Um, but really lately I've been noticing and by lately, I mean like maybe the last two years have been noticing how much I've been addicted to the high and the low, which like maybe is obvious, but I'm really feeling it when I'm not, in a high or a low, like for a while, I was like, I'm so bored. I'm everything is so bland. Yeah. I used to say that a lot for sure. Totally. It's like, I'm not bored. It's just that. Yeah. It's not actual boredom. I read a really interesting article. God, I hope I can find it. But it was basically like when you have a supercomputer in your pocket and you're able to like do anything you want at any moment's notice, you're not bored. You just have this like perceived notion of missing out on something that you aren't missing out on so we have there's some you know brain stimuli that is going off in our head because we're scrolling on instagram or twitter or whatever the fuck it is that's saying we're missing something so we're bored because we're just sitting in our you know in our own space by ourselves and uh it's super interesting yeah yeah and i mean i'm sure we could speak to can you hear me okay i lost you for a second Mm -hmm. yeah um, I'm sure we could speak to, you know, the ways that social media is affecting us and the ways that the news is affecting us and the way that society is affecting us and all that. Um, and 
you know, the more that I learn about trauma healing and the more that I learn about the way the nervous system learns to be and learns to survive, the more that makes sense from a historical point of view. And I'm not alone in this. I would say this is most people. But in my experience, you know, let's just take gymnastics, although there are many other pieces. You know, gymnastics was a high and a low kind of thing. It was like, if I did it perfectly, I got so much love and praise. If I made a mistake, I got so much punishment and, and aggression. And so even though I didn't necessarily like the, the high and the lowness of it, that is like where my nervous system learned how to calibrate itself. Oh. And so without experiences that are high and low, I'm like, I'm, I'm literally like, it feels like nothingness. It like, it feels like I can't taste anything because it's not what I know of tasting. Wow. That's wild. So that's like a unconscious process. How do you unlearn that? Hiring you. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. I, I would never have put into context that those types of reactions are not myself, right? That it is kind of something outside of my ability to control. That's very, 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 very enlightening because I just, I have had no idea. That's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I love that you said that because I think that's one of the biggest instigators of me my shift, my healing, my whatever over the last couple of years was starting to learn about the nervous system and having a reference point for something outside of like, it's my fault. Mm. Right. And there's, and there's a lot of like self-development talk, which was my world going into where I am now. Um, and even from gymnastics days, that is like, you choose your happiness. You know, you are the leader of your life. Like, you're responsible for all this, et cetera, which I believe in in so many ways. And that's not fully true if we're not conscious with what our nervous system is doing because it is going to do whatever the hell it wants to. Wow. Wow. That's wild. Um, there's so much to unpack there. I'm not entirely quite sure where to go. So I'm going to go with outwardly looking in, having not met you before, but having seen some of these images that you mentioned being created in wild in nature, um, nude photo shoots, incredibly powerful, incredibly Im impactful images. You have a uh, confidence about you that comes through the image that sounds from this conversation to me that's been something that you worked a lot on to get to that point and something that you still work on a lot. So talk to me a little bit about what that work was, right? What did you kind of figure out in yourself to like be able to ascribe or, you know, attribute a higher degree of confidence for yourself? And then also like how other people can kind of take some lessons from that as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I have to share the story about doing the photo shoot with James. Sure. Yeah. Who was on that's, your podcast before. Yeah, that's James Wolf. He, he, uh, was on, geez, probably a couple months ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So we were doing a, a nude photo shoot out in somewhere up in the, in a natural park in, um, the Los Angeles area. And it was his idea. He had the design. We painted my face. He had, you know, professional cameras and lighting and all that stuff. And 
there were a couple of people around. Um, and he's like, like strangers? Oh, it's not usually this busy. Yeah, like oh, people right. on hikes or no, whatever. Okay, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Not like yeah. people with the shoe. Not, yeah. No, not <laughs> and not like audience or something. No. Yeah, right. But just like there were people people on a hike. And so, you know, his, his girlfriend his, at the time was like, hey, you know, we're about to do a photo shoot. Do you mind just like staying out of this area or whatever? And people seemed fine. And so we begin the photo shoot and I'm like fully nude, but I have black paint on my face. And we're like doing like, uh, like I'm, I'm calm for some of the shoots for some of the photos. And then I'm like demonized for the, the other, the other side. So it's really cool. It's really artful. You know, I'm naked, but it's not like sexual. It's, it's not, not like, gratuitous. Yeah. Uh, right. It's like just a naked body who's making art. Um, at least that's how I see it. But of course the, um, what's his name? The patrol guy. Well, I forget what you call it, State but Trooper. he comes on the, yeah, he comes on the, uh, a megaphone and is like, you need to put your clothes on basically. And, and what that means, I mean, he's, his office is not near there. Like somebody called him or like drove out and got him. And we're kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not that big a deal. Right. So we keep going. Then the cops pull up and the cop gets on his loudspeaker from his car and says like, you need to get down here. You have one minute to get down here talking to me. Like I'm his 12 year old daughter. And, um, and we're, you know, me, James and Skinner are like kind of laughing about it and, and, but like, okay, I, I guess it's time, you know, for, to call it quits. So I start getting my clothes on and start walking down. And as I'm going down, I can feel like, just like the familiar ooze of shame coming in. And like, I say it that way because shame for me, and I think for so many of us, particularly women, but really uh, everybody, um, shame is so cozy. It's like so cozy. And, and, and what I mean is there's something easy about just being like, I'm bad. I'm a terrible person. Like hide out, like take, take whatever, whatever consequences you have, just give it to me. And yes, I, I deserve it all. There's something like actually easy about that as I, I know as, as gut wrenching as shame can feel in that I'm not, engaged with what is actually happening oh, i'm not engaged like removed with the fact yourself that yeah I, yeah i just basically it's like a it's like a stuck version of running yeah defense mechanism right? right um and so i felt that coming on like oh wait because i could sense that there were not only the cops down there but other people and i'm like oh my god now i'm like i have got pain on my face <laughs> i was naked i'm walking down to see these strangers that called the cops on me who already i'm like you know pardon me but like fuck you big time and, fuck you and <laughs> <laughs> like what if, you know i tried to put myself in their shoes anyway um and now i have this authority who you know first of all like my mom for instance is terrified of cops so i already have like a little bit of wiring around cops I have a big amount of wiring around authority from gymnastics and from who both my dad and my stepdad are. And so I'm walking to like just a lot of things that are triggers. Are scary and triggering. Yeah. And I could just go right in like I did it wrong. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that it, you know, punish me. And um and as I was walking, I had the wherewithal for the first time probably ever in my life to feel the shame like 
nudging me, like, like, like tantalizing me, right? Like, come, come just live in this soft, cozy land. And I was like, hold on. No, I, I don't, that's not true. I'm not a bad person because I'm making art here with my friends, which as you saw, were really fucking impactful. And I like, I don't need to, I don't need to leave that to interact with you. I can just be here and interact with you and understand that sure it's breaking a law and like I can disagree with the law and, and was it actually breaking the law? law? That was like actually against law. You can't be naked in yeah, public in, in a park. You can't be naked in public in California. Oh, yeah, that's super weird. Of all places, you would think so, it wouldn't be like a big deal. <laughs> California, like yeah, like in New York, you can. Yeah, but in California, you can't. So you know, whatever. So I'm breaking a law, but I but that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. That doesn't mean I should like go into this spiral and like take his i mean and the cop was so patronizing to me like talking down to me and i just was like okay like i'm gonna just stay present here so anyway that whole long story is to say really that i've finally shifted to a place where i can hear you know the cliche wisdom witness your responses before you do them feel the shame before you just do shame notice it and and that's the only time we like really have a choice hmm. wow yeah i'm learning a lot because yeah I, I i guess it would be difficult for me to like pre-pull myself out of that reaction right like to understand in the moment that the emotion that i'm feeling whatever it would be to like kind of quote-unquote stop and smell the rose of the emotion while it's happening mm. or like mm. once it's becoming an, an actual feeling I, I don't know that i could possibly be able to do that yeah and i think that's the uh like that's the practice of it you know i, I i've had a couple of these moments lately where i'm like oh i've been working on this thing for two years now <laughs> it's finally working you know so so it does take time and, and um, you know, one thing that my teacher says a lot and I'm in a somatic experiencing training program that's about trauma healing. So that's the teacher I'm referring to. But he often says like basically our whole goal is just to slow things down enough to be able to sense that. Oh, I like that. When it happens really fast, you're never going to sense it. But if we can just slow it down, then you start to have I like that. My my next question for you is, do you think, I'm sorry, how old are you now? I'm 32. Okay, I'm 35. So do you think like 22 year old Jesse could have been making these adjustments or like th fundamentally at my core, what I think I'm trying to gain through these conversations are the last two years of my life have been like transformative into me becoming the person that I am now, a person who is supremely comfortable in his own skin, extremely confident in the direction that I've chosen for my life. My, my ultimate question is, could 21 year old John have been able to have like been cognizant of what I've gone through the mm -hmm. last two years or would it, did it take 35 year old John? So do you think you could have been imparted these kind of wisdoms at a younger age and, and use them? Or do you think it took 32 year old Jesse? Mm. Yeah. I mean, of course the answer is sort of a both and like, I think that, <clears throat> um, in so many ways 
I was offered things like this. I mean, it took me five years to even be open to yoga because I thought it was so slow and boring after gymnastics. And then lo and behold, that was like something that was really impactful and important to me. Could I have done it five years before? I, I don't, I don't know. I was resistant to it. I was, I didn't want to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a, a piece of that, like the, the addiction to the, to the fastness and to the up and down, um, maybe just needed time, hmm. but at the same time, so I, I about two, three months ago moved out of LA. I've been in LA for 10 years and I left and I'm traveling around just kind of nomading for a while. Love that. And I came, uh, I, uh, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also LA sucks, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never felt that way. And I like, so I came back to LA, uh, for two weeks just to visit and, um, Ooh, coming back was so intense <laughs> for many reasons. And I now kind of hate LA, um, yeah. but no offense but to people who live there. That I, yeah, like, <laughs> no sorry, offense, you guys. sorry, not sorry. <laughs> LA has a lot of great things to offer, but, um, food, but it's intense. great food. Yeah. <laughs> um, but something that I kept thinking about is a similar question, like being back in LA and I like one night spiraled and went through my entire Instagram which was a, totally a trauma response. If anybody's curious, if you're doing that, you are in a trauma response. Oh, but shit. I scrolled through my shit. entire Instagram. I do that like every day, every day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But Jesus, no, I've done that. Damn no, it. No, but I mean, but I mean, 10 years, all the way to 2012. Okay, right? never done like, that. All the way to Much when I too started. lazy yeah, to do that, yeah. That's what I mean. I, exactly, it took three hours. Wow. Um, yeah. And, um, Sorry, I'm like on this whole long story. I'm going to get to a point, I promise. No, it's um, okay. There, I saw this period in my life when I was like transitioning from like trying to make it as a dancer in sort of a robotic way that didn't feel right to me to choreographing and like actually putting my body in the movement that felt good to me. And I saw a couple of the videos that I had posted and my best friend and my boyfriend at the time were both very self-development push through kind of people. And I remember both of them in response to those videos gave me criticism and um, like, I don't know why you wore that. And like, you shouldn't, shouldn't have used that song. Um, And at the time, like a part of me really needed that, right? Like I still had a lot of this gymnastics mentality. Like I thought that was the recipe for growth, for happiness, for success. Like, those are the people that I wanted around me ish, mm-hmm. but I keep, I keep thinking that was like two weeks ago that I did this spiral, but I keep thinking like if my best friend at that time had just said, Oh my God, that is so amazing. I can't believe you're wearing that. You look so good. Like, I can't believe you thought of that transition, blah, blah, blah. Like if my best friend had just supported me. Mm. Yeah. I could have heard all this wisdom then. Mm. That is a super important point because I think, I mean, not I think, I know that 
98% of the growth I've experienced is because of the support that I have from friends and family. And it's unfortunate because I'm lucky enough to have that and others are not. So it's like almost like a cheat code that I have in my back pocket that I can use whenever I need it. Like I'll send my brother a photo that I took and I'll be like, dude, that's so fucking sick. I'm like, are you kidding? It's shit. It's trash. But it's like people around you, if they're going to build you up versus like tear you down, that is monumental to your growth and your comfortability in the thing that you're doing. Like that's sort of the bare minimum that you need from the people in your life to just fucking support (laughs) you. Just be like thankful and like appreciative of these chances that you're taking. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I really think I didn't believe that. I mean, I I really think how quickly did you remove ex-boyfriend and friend from your life because that to me would have been like poof gone see ya fuck off (laughs) i can say it sucks (laughs) right well see but here's the problem is so i wanted that consciously and unconsciously right my like unconsciously my nervous system was used to a criticism reward Mm. feedback loop from gymnastics okay so subconsciously that's happening Consciously, I thought growth means the people around you pushed you. And I mean, again, like I go back to the self-development world, like you type in self-development to Instagram, you see a bunch of shit like that, like your friends are supposed to push you and etc. So I believed that consciously too. And then on top of that, like, take my ex-boyfriend, for instance, he was not good in a lot of ways. I love him dearly on one hand. And also he was not good in a lot of ways. And the people in my life knew that. But how did the people in my life, like my mom and my siblings and my other friends, respond? They responded criticizing. Hmm. I mean, so I was like in a ripple effect of the thing that I didn't want, but it was, but it was addicted to. So the subconscious addiction level, just the the thought of that alone is off-putting to me because I'm sure I've got plenty of these in in my bag of tricks that are not necessarily a good thing. And like the flip side of that is like, I'm all for corrective criticism. I show, I send photos to, to James all the time and he'll be like, yeah, this is wonderful. The color grading is great, but right. Like you can, you can be, give someone corrective criticism in a positive manner that it's not like, okay, cool. I'm going to go throw my fucking camera out the window or I'm going to go cut up my leotards and never dance again like whatever you know i don't know your ballerina shoes whatever you understand what i'm saying right it's like you can have people in your life who are like like a a, they can criticize you but in in a manner that allows for growth and i would imagine that through the x number of years of journey through this new career that you've kind of brought yourself to you've now learned that and are now teaching that (laughs) right right and i think like you know, at the time, I thought that's what was happening. I thought this construct this was constructive criticism, and it was for growth, and it was from love. And I really did believe that. And even like now, like, six years later, after that moment, I am kind of coming back to some of the things that I was doing with that partner and that best friend in a in a totally different way. And I think the difference is, I mean, maybe I'm biased because I see everything through nervous system lens and through embodiment lens. But like the difference is really like the quality state of your energy 
of your system, right? Like even just saying um, the lighting is off for as a feedback, like the difference between being like, well, the lighting's a little off, the sharp, the sharp tone, my body closes, my voice like restricts versus being like, oh, you know, the lighting is a little off here. Mm-hmm. Right. And like you can feel my breath and you can see that I'm open and, and with you. And like that, you know, I, I even remember my my ex and my friend saying, like, tone doesn't matter. Like, don't be so sensitive. Like, just take it. Take the feedback. Right. Like it's for you. But that's actually not true. Oh, yeah. I in mean, the context of how our systems respond to things. Yeah. I mean, isn't that just like the thing that a shitty person says to, like, justify the shitty thing that they said? It's like, right. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I said you look fat in those pants, but like, I'm trying to help you not wear those pants. It's like, uh, no, you're just a piece of shit. Like, that's the way I take it. <laughs> I mean, for sure. Right. Um, unquestionably. Um, through your process as, as like being this teacher and this mentor for people, um, as you like kind of uh, unpack other people's traumas and other people's like learned behaviors that, you know, don't necessarily, uh, you know, allow for positive growth, et cetera. Do you pick pieces up and like tidbits that you can then like kind of maybe, Oh, maybe I do that as well. Um, can you say that one more time? Sure. Like, so like you're, you're my mentor, you're, you're teaching me, we're talking about some subconscious trauma or whatever that, you know, my nervous system's not aligned, Mm -hmm. et cetera, X, Y, Z. When you're like having these conversations and doing these one-on-one sessions with people, are you learning also more about yourself as you're also like kind of helping them? That was a much better way to say it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why something happened. I like kind of lost focus. It's it's because I I closed my shoulders and I said it in the wrong way. (laughs) See? Well, so you know what's actually really fascinating about that is the response that first came to me when I really, when I heard you the second time is related to what I think happened, why I didn't hear you the first time, which is that inevitably when, so if in order to help somebody, I need to love them. Mm-hmm. And in order to love them, I need to be open. And in order to be open, my body, my nervous system, my cells need to be in relationship to whatever they're experiencing. Now, not like taking on their problems, but I do need to be able to feel them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what that means is when somebody is uh, feeling something, I'm going to feel a version of that thing in myself. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and so I also learn I'm, and I'm learning more and more how to use that, how to use like my body's radar to pick up on what someone else is experiencing. Cause often they don't even know what they're experiencing. Hmm. They, they have an idea. They maybe could talk about their feelings, but they don't really know what is happening in their system. And so me being able to feel them in that way um, can help us translate. And so I think a little bit of even what happened the first time you asked that question is some, like, like we, clo- we both closed off a little bit, right? So as you're asking, do I feel my, my client's thing? Do I learn about myself? I'm literally doing it in the moment. So wow. that's really special. I find this so um, fascinating. <laughs> Listen, like, I know this is like one of those situations where you can have these conversations and they're like, oh, yoga and, and, you know, nervous systems and like 
they all have like connotations to them that are like hippy dippy blah 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 i find it all incredibly enlightening because it is more or less most of the time based on actual science so like while it's like wrapped around in you know bongos and like whatever it's coming from a scientific place which is why i find this stuff completely and utterly fascinating um wow yeah um what kind of like inspired you to get into this like what were you you know you were dancing and then what was like the trigger for you to kind of make this jump into this practice like yeah well i do want to name a sort of answering that question but even just what you said before that I think part of why a lot of this more woo-woo, you know, <laughs> magical type of healing stuff didn't connect with me before um, is maybe my own judgment, simply put, but also uh, because I wanted the science. Like, my family is very scientific. I went to college. I got a Bachelor of Science. Like, I, like, like I had never... I hadn't really let go of that need and not in a bad way. And so when I found this nervous system work, I was like, Oh, this this like really explains all of it. I don't have to just blindly trust some woo woo stuff. Mm -hmm. And I also don't have to like swing over to be a physicist. There's actually a space in the middle where, and also like quantum physics is basically the woo woo stuff, but, but, but there's a space where the science and the, the spirituality or the energetic actually converse with each other and since doing that the the woo-woo stuff like actually makes a lot more sense to me and I can and I can feel it and I can receive it if and when I want to um so all of that to answer your second or your your actual question how did I get here I think it's probably a lot of things but you know one of the biggest moments that marked like the beginning of this piece of the journey was taking a workshop from my now mentor who is a trauma healing witch and (laughs) she was and she really um she really I'll, I'll name her too her name is Kimberly Ann Johnson um and she's written a couple books but she really tailors her work to women who have been in shame a lot who have been um like making themselves really small for so long and have blamed themselves for that. And she really says, no, 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 it's your nervous system. And when she said that the first workshop I took, I was like, Oh, it's not all my fault. <laughs> yeah. And like that, that is why I'm here three years later. I love that. Um, I had a very uh, interesting conversation not that long ago with the priest from my church growing up. And religion to the side, I am one of those people that uh, grew up in a very Catholic family, went to church every Sunday, Christmas, Easter, the whole nine yards. And this gentleman who's been a priest for, I think there was like a weird synergy between him being a priest exactly how long I was alive. So like his priesthood started mm-hmm. when I was born and the kind of, mm. you know, s- s- synergy between that was like very interesting when we had our conversation but he differs from like what a lot of priests in that he does things like yoga and speaks to people in other religions with a more inquisitive and open mind than i think most people do and i think what's nice is that we have kind of reached a point in society where like the want and the desire for self-betterment is now 
kind of becoming this giant funnel of there's a lot of different places that you can get it. And I, for one, am, am super inspired by that because it gives everyone the opportunity to like look themselves in the mirror and be like, okay, well, there are certain things that I don't like about myself or certain things that I would like to grow and be better at. And now I've got a lot of different places that I can learn from. And it could be a place from religion. It could be a place from science. It could be a place from woo woo, as you say, um, which I think makes it a really fun <laughs> time. It is an exhausting time to be alive, but also in that regard, if you want to do the work to grow, it is a good time to be alive. Mm-hmm. More or less. I agree. <laughs> So you've been doing this, I'm going to say job, but it's obviously much more of like a calling and a career for like three years, you said. What's like the one thing that you're most proud of about the last three years? I mean, obviously keeping names and people aside, but like what's one thing that you're super proud of? Mm. Yeah, um, I had all these like kind of accomplishment sort of things flash through my mind, but actually that's not the thing I'm most proud of. So oh, um, now I'm really interested. The thing, <laughs> and I don't know if it's going to sound as cool, but it, it's really meaningful to me. Um, really since I have left LA, which is interesting. So in the last couple of months, I have seen the biggest shift in my 10 to 15 clients that sort of fluctuate a little bit um, ever. Like I have seen them go from not totally getting what we're doing. And this is like kind of in a collective way. So I know that it's in relation to my phase as well as theirs. Um, Not totally getting what we're doing. Like each week it's feeling like, wait, I'm back here again. Kind of, kind of like a little bit tedious, even though we do have big, openings each week. Anyway, it was feeling like a little hamster wheelie. And when I left, like almost immediately, everybody was just like, Oh, this is what you've been telling me for the last six months. Oh, I, I, wow. I feel centered, even though that's happening. Whoa. Or like, like we talked about earlier, like I watched myself want to go into shame and I didn't Oh, like just like all these moments of um, not getting it mentally, but getting it in their experience, in their bodies, like, oh, this is what it's like. So that's fucking awesome. But it also brings up the question of why do you think that is? Like that's an eerie coincidence and or cosmic timing (laughs) for like, you know, 10 to 15 people to kind of all get it at the same time. That's very interesting. Right? That's crazy. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I mean, yeah, I I think it's got to be so many pieces. I think that some of it is just kind of coincidence where a lot of them came in about the same time. And so they had been, you know, working on this stuff for three or four months, which does tend to be about the time when things start to really click. Um, I think that I, and I, and I do think that my energy affects them profoundly and I, weirdly, I never thought that I would like to be a nomad. I always like to have a home base, but weirdly me being able to be free in this way for now, I do believe has freed up some things in them. Hmm. That is super interesting. Um, I recently moved into a new apartment a few months ago and prior to moving in, 
I toyed with the buy a van, build it out, don't come back. And I still do. I mean, like, you know, friends, family, you know, all of these things play a large role into what will inevitably not be me doing that. But I constantly am in a state of pack a bag, get on a plane and do so- like there are plenty of anchors and plenty of reasons and monetary and all of them yeah. to not do those things. But uh, yeah. I'm for sure jealous. I think that one of the things that I've harped a lot about on this podcast is how the vast majority of early life and, and even into your mid to late 20s, there's like this regimented kind of pattern, right? It's do well in high school so you can get into a good college, do well in college so you can get that good first job, get that good first job so you can get the second good job with a nice car and a better watch. And a, then I got to meet the girl and I got to get married and I got to buy a house. And like, thankfully, I've skirted a lot of those things. Thank thankfully um but the ultimate being that there's like this roadmap laid out in front of you that like it's very hard to detour off of and had i been conscious of the ability to say hey i can hop off this train at this stop and do something else i think potentially i could have gotten to the place i'm at now earlier it's a potential because it's you know second guess what if kind of deal um but from a a like a nomad living on your own and I don't know your relationship status, et cetera, like just being afforded the opportunity to be out about traveling alone. I mean, I did it last year when I lost my job. I drove around the country for like 30 something days, just me, my Jeep. I mean, I stayed in hotels and and whatnot, but it was like transformative into molding the person that I am now. And if more people got this opportunity, I think it's just one of those things you have to do. It's like everyone has to go to college so that they can be on their own for the first time and drink and get fucked up. But like maybe not go to college, maybe like pack a bag, <laughs> go to Europe and like see some shit and learn some shit. I don't know. I'm just I'm spitballing at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I I love that and I mean and I'm I've very strongly for so long rebelled against the formula, even though I did go to college, but you know, sophomore year of college, I was like, okay, I'm going to just finish this to finish it. And I'm going to go dance, which I know is not going to get me the job and the, I mean, the steady job and the house and the car and maybe not the husband and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have, and I've done a pretty big fuck you to that for a while. Um, And also, like no way could I have taken off and traveled around 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could have, but it would have been counterproductive because what I'm learning and, and, you know, I'm sure on one hand, maybe this is cliche. And on the other hand, maybe people that travel have different experiences than this. But um, what I've learned is that like why this is important to me anyway is the ability to be in trust with the universe, the ability to trust myself to be able to handle things as they fluctuate. If I don't know where I'm going to stay, what am I going to do? If I don't have enough money for the next week, what am I going to do? Like that's so different being in a fluctuating state than it was being having a steady rent and a, you know, things that I count on. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had done that 10 years ago, it would have, 
swung me even further into not trusting. 100%. If I did it 10 years ago, I would have been an anxious mess. I would have been like, oh my God, right. what the fuck? What are you doing? You're an idiot. What are you doing? You're a moron. What are you doing? You're an idiot. And like, I would have told myself that every day for three days and then I would have came home. Like, I think, but like, these are all of those, like, benefit of hindsight life lessons that I do genuinely wonder if these are things that I could have learned at a younger age. Because part of me says no, and then, like, there are other parts of me that the reason why I think I'm having these conversations is my hope that someone who's 18 to 24 is hearing this and saying, well, maybe I don't want to go work 100 hours for Goldman Sachs. You know, cool, 100 grand, 150 grand, money's great, but they're just handcuffs to doing something that's not going to fulfill you. I mean, unless you like, you know, Excel spreadsheets, but you know, what do I know? (laughs) Jesse, what's like your, what's your biggest dream? Like, you know, I know I mentioned that you spent a lot of time kind of forecasting your life out. Like, do you still look at like where you're going to be in five years and then dream about what that's going to look like? I do not. I love that. I, uh, I fucking love that. Yeah. (laughs) One of my teachers says like, how arrogant of me to pretend like I know what's going to happen in five years. (laughs) I like that. That's good. Yeah, no more. I did that for so long. I mean, maybe I will have a a better sense of um, looking ahead when I land somewhere, if I land somewhere. But for now, I feel like that is counterproductive to being open to what needs to happen. I like that. Do you have like a dream scenario in mind of like, if everything worked out the way your dream journal said it would, like, what would that look like? And I know you have a dream journal. I know that was very spot on of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a dream journal, but I do have journals. Same, same. Journals. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't, I don't know what it looks like anymore. I did. I used to have a uh, vision. I don't really have an idea of what it's going to look like, but I do have an idea of what it's going to feel like. And that is very similar to how I feel now, mm. but perhaps um, in an even more expansive way, which is just like, I am in love and loving all the time. I don't know if that means with a partner in a house. I don't know if that means with multiple partners. I don't know if that means with a man or a woman. I don't know if that means with friends or family. I don't know with a child with no, I have no idea, Mm -hmm. but I know that like I am and will be in love and love deeply will be open. I, you know, I I know that I will be in connection and in flow with money, whether that looks like lots and lots of money or whether that looks like a little, but in flow either way. Um, Yeah. So things, so things like that, where I just know that I will be like deeply, deeply okay. And in love with life. You know, I, I more or less say the same thing a lot to, to like my family because they they all think I'm crazy because 2020 while it was like the most chaotic horrible year in most people's life I had like the financially best year of my life I had a lot of great things happen and then like also a lot of terrible things happen and it brought me to like kind of this weird moment in my life and I know there's a lot more to live but I am so supremely confident in everything that I'm doing and all of these bricks that I'm laying that I'm building the foundation of something great and you know maybe five years ago I couldn't have taken these chances to do these things but I also didn't know that I had 
the love for photography that I do then. And I didn't know that I had the love for a podcast that I didn't even listen to podcasts five years ago, really. So what I think is nice about what you said is when you kind of give into this openness of like positivity coming your way, whether it's in love, in work, in whatever, like good shit starts happening to you. I know that's so woo woo. Like, as you say, I'm going to steal the shit out of that, but it's true. It's true because like last week I shot my very first concert for photography. It was like a fucking religious experience for me. I would never have done that had I not picked up a camera two years ago. Like all of these positive things are becoming, are coming to me because I'm giving myself the opportunity to like be open and just fucking go with it. So I'm super glad you said that because it is, wildly important for people to realize that like it's not like make your own destiny but like just being open to be given the opportunity for the right things to fall as they're supposed to be like it's like fate things happen for a reason and you can kind of like steer your fate i think the way that you're supposed to or at least i hope (laughs) yeah be open for things to fall the way that they're supposed to like that that is so different than you know, I'm going to use the tone again, but then make your destiny, Mm. right? Even though they're kind of the same thing, but like, let yourself be open to the destiny that is coming for you. Again, like a little corny, but so true. It is corny, but I think that's okay. I think, you know, I've become a little soft in my old age where like corniness is totally cool for me. So like, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, you know, there are great motivational speakers who will tell you that like, yeah, you just got to fucking do it and whatever. But like, but that's not really helping anyone. It's like, you know, Right. Joe the librarian doesn't need to be told that he's just got to fucking go for it. You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Agreed. You have a, an extremely infectious, positive mental mindset that uh, I, I would imagine is easy to kind of like shine through, right? How do you deal with like regret in your life? Like whether it's past regrets or like the fear of future regrets, like how do you kind of deal with like those sort of trigger you know know, regret's a big thing for me because i think it's a really good learning opportunity so i'm curious kind of how your relationship is with it Mm, interesting i I have an interesting relationship with the word regret but as you're saying it now i'm really present to yeah like in the past if if it was about something in the past i would feel guilt and shame if it was about something in the future i would feel anxiety um and so, oh, don't trail off, Jesse. Uh, so actually, how I, how I currently am confronting things like that is looking at them like a kink. Interesting. Go on. Meaning, like, if I do something wrong, something I regret, like, what in me needs to see that as something wrong? what in me can't just trust that all is perfect, which maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But what in me can't trust that there's something in me that's like, no, it has to be wrong because why? Because then I would be bad. And I like that. That that thing is comfortable to me. Maybe it's because, and I can believe the fantasy that if I had just done that differently, I would have everything right now, which is probably not true, but that's a fun thing to believe. Mm Mm-hmm. So I've been looking at it like, like a little thing that kind of gets me off when we're talking about the addiction cycle, right? Like not necessarily in a sexy way, although could be, but just like a little thing that gets me off, like, oh God, I just hate being wrong about this. 
and just being really conscious with the fact that I hate being wrong hmm. instead of trying not to hate being wrong. <laughs> I like that. That is a dramatically different um, context in which I view regret and mm-hmm. goes without saying that it's better. Um, <laughs> but my, my, <laughs> my philosophy is like, I've tried very hard to like have that, you know, no regrets kind of mentality throughout life. So like I've basically done whatever the fuck I wanted for ever. So mm-hmm. the things that I do regret inevitably are attached to something that was negative. Right. So like, man, I regret dating the girl who cheated on me. Right. Like, man, I regret taking a job that didn't work out or man, I regret blah, blah, blah. So like most of those regrets from the past are attached to a negative feeling and like a negative connotation. Future regrets is more so I've reached the point where I want to do everything I want to do and I don't want to regret having not done it 35 years from now. So I think mm-hmm. the benefit of that that like midlife lens and God, I hope I live longer than 70, but you know, 35 years from now having lived the you know, the next 35 years, I want to be able to look back and say, "Wow, I don't regret anything because I knew at 35 and I was cognizant at 35 not to feel mm-hmm. anxiety about not doing XYZ, whatever it might be." And that's fundamentally how we're here having this conversation today which i've absolutely enjoyed um i love that i i do as well i like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing just a little rapid fire questions um some are silly and easy and and dumb and then others are like just a little bit heavier so my very first easy question for you is what is your favorite book currently it may change but currently the prophecy say it again the philistine prophecy okay yeah you broke up a little bit that's why i didn't hear it okay and why is it your favorite book it is really about uh trust and divine trust and the flow of life a lot of what we've talked about today and it and it kind of teaches you even though it's fiction it kind of teaches you how to charge up your energy and read other people's energy and use it to remain open and trusting to life. So it's pretty magical. I like that. What's your favorite movie? <sighs> okay. I'm not a movie person, so I'm going to name a show that I think is related to what we've talked about today, which is Ted Lasso. Oh. Have you seen it? Of course. It's the best <laughs> fucking thing ever created. It's, just i watch every episode twice when it comes out like back to back it's the best fucking show on tv it's just like they need to make an a ted lasso emmy award and it's just given to ted lasso every year that's how good the show is it's fucking phenomenal no arguments (laughs) i'm with you on that completely what's your favorite food well, what came to me right now was mac and cheese, so we're going to go with it. Like real cheese baked in the oven, Ooh. mac and cheese. Nice. I like that. Do you believe in an afterlife? In a sense, I believe that our soul energy carries on, but I don't necessarily believe we like go hang out in heaven. That's fair. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, are you in love? <laughs> Yeah. I like that. That's cute. I, I love that for you. Um, let me see. What inspires you? Mm, music. 
any bands in particular or singers, songwriters, etc.? Um, there's this one song that I thought of when you asked that question. So I'll name that. I think I don't even really know the artist that much, but the song is called Mother Earth is the Mother, Mother of the Earth, something like that. Sorry, followers, if you're not getting it. (laughs) And I believe the artist is Jessica Serena. And it's just like very tribal and magical and makes me want to dance. Nice. Cool. Um, What's the best piece of advice someone has ever given you? It's the advice I hate the most. (laughs) Usually is. You you already know. Oh. Oh, that's good. Huh. I don't love that. (laughs) That's good, though. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What what is your best piece of advice that you have for someone who's hearing you speak for the first time today? Oh, just to listen to and trust the signals that are coming to you from your body, even when it's seemingly negative. That is very good. It has something for you. Hmm, That's good. I'm going to write that one down. That's good. My final question is, what is one recommendation that you have for everyone who's hearing you on the podcast today for something that you've consumed lately? It could be a movie, a TV show, a podcast, a book, just something that you've consumed lately that you think everyone would benefit from checking out. Mm. Well, the first thing that came is uh, my mentor that I mentioned earlier, Kimberly Ann Johnson. She has a podcast. And she did this interview with a an elder um, ex death doula man, and they talk about I don't I don't even know if I can have words for it. It's so deep and rich. I've had to listen to it a time and a half already to even get it. So I would recommend that. I can look up the name if you'd like. But yeah, please so do. I'll uh, really lovely. I'll definitely link it in the uh, show notes below. Um, Jesse, thank, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. To say I enjoyed our conversation would be a, would be doing a disservice to how wonderful that chat was. I'm so appreciative of you taking out the time to chat with me today, and I, I just hope you have the the best rest of your day. And looking forward to seeing so much more from you in the future. Thank you so much for having me, John. It was a pleasure. You're welcome.